Hey everyone, my name is Erica. And I'm Joy. And this Sunday is our next gen takeover. And we are so excited for you to be a part of it. I told the kids a couple weeks ago, the Bible is the most important book you'll ever read, full of the most important information that you'll ever learn. So why would we not want to learn as much as we can about it, right? We are in a time right now where biblical literacy, biblical knowledge is at an all-time low. Um, you know, we can't, we can't assume that every nine-year-old who comes to kids' church is going to know the story of David and Goliath or Daniel and the lion's den or Adam and Eve. Whereas, you know, maybe 20 years ago, we could assume that, you know, most kids by a certain age are going to know certain Bible stories, but we can't assume that anymore. You know, so how do we, how do we combat that? You know, how do we make kids interested in the Bible? How do we get this information to them? And one of those things is we tell them, hey, we'll give you candy if you bring your Bible to church. <laughs> um, and that's fun. But also we have programs like our JBQ program, Junior Bible Quiz. On Friday nights, the kids are learning and memorizing different facts about the Bibles, different uh, Bible stories. They're learning scripture. I love that program. They get competitive and they get into it and they have a lot of fun and they're learning so much. I see them improve week to week. One thing we also implemented recently is called our monthly challenge. Kids, tell me, what do we do at the beginning of every month? We spin the wheel. That's right. We spin a wheel. It's not a physical wheel yet. Someday I'll make a real wheel, um, you know, like Price is Right. But <laughs> for now, we have one on a screen, and it has all these different um, elements of the Bible that when it lands on that, we're going to take the month and try to memorize it. So um, it has all kinds of things. It has the names of the 12 disciples, the seven days of creation, Psalm 23, armor of God, fruit of the spirit, all these things that you find in the Bible that are really important that we don't always, we, that some people don't memorize, though some people do. I've memorized a lot of things in first grade that I still know to this day. So like this past month, we worked on learning the 10 commandments and I showed the kids a little way to remember them with, with like finger motions and remembering them with our hands. And uh, last week was the end of the month and we had a dozen kids recite the 10 commandments. And they got a prize for that. Yeah, give it up for them. That was amazing. I thought they did so great. So if you memorize the monthly challenge, you get a prize. Next week, kids, we will spin the wheel and we will get a new challenge. All right, so your children are very hungry for the word. They are, they are excited to learn. They, they deeply desire to learn more about God and to learn more about the Bible. So I encourage you, talk to them about that this week. Ask them what God's been putting on their heart because I guarantee God has been working in them. So ask them what they've been reading about, what they've been studying, and share what you have been studying with them. Tell them what God has been showing you because we all keep learning these things, right? So share that with your kids. I would encourage you to do that. All right, so today we're going to be talking about a man named Zacchaeus. Um, if you are my age or older, you probably grew up learning a little song about Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man, wasn't he? Um, so I'm going to need some volunteers for telling the story of Zacchaeus. I need um, someone of average height, and then I need someone of below average height, and then I need someone of above average height. So let me see. Let me see. <laughs> All right, let me have Connor. Come here, man. 
Let me introduce you to Zacchaeus. Get up here, Connor. All right, and now I need somebody very tall. This can be a grown-up, preferably. <laughs> can, I, can I get a very tall grown-up? Or, or a teenager, a very tall teenager. EJ. I can always count on EJ. And now I need someone, of, someone that's just here to chill. Someone's like, yeah, I'm, I'm as tall as I am, and it is what it is. Let me see. Let me have, <laughs> would you like to? <laughs> Let me be more specific. Let me be more specific. This is for the role of Jesus. So if you get up here, you got to behave. I'm going to ask another helper. Steven, where are you at? Come here, Steven. All right, and then I will need a couple more kids in just a moment. Let me have Levi, Evie, Addison, Evan, come on up. All right, you guys stand right over here for me for a moment. I'll tell you what to do in a minute. Y'all take a step back and just chill. Remember who you're playing, okay? All right, so let's read. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There he goes. He was passing through. Stand over there for a second. And there was a, na a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Come on up, sir. A man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. You got money. Yeah, there you go. But he wanted to see who Jesus was. But there was a crowd in the way. Come here, crowd. Get over here. Come stand right over here and look at Jesus. Say, hey, welcome to the town. We're happy to see you. Can you see him? Do a little jump. See if you can see him. Is he there? No, he couldn't see him. So he decided to run ahead and climb up a sycamore tree. <laughs> there we go. He didn't know I was going to make him do that. Because he wanted to see Jesus passing that way. So Jesus, come make your way over here. Very slowly walking through the crowd. Pause right there. So Zacchaeus wanted to see the Lord as he was passing by. I'm going to interrupt you just a second. Okay. But since he was short, like the Bible says, that's the Bible's words, not mine. He couldn't see over the crowd. And so he decided to run up ahead and climb up a tree so that he could see Jesus. We also get some other details here. Jesus was passing through the town of Jericho. And kids, we've talked about Jericho before. Do you guys remember hearing that? The name of that city? You remember that one? Good. So that was in the story of Joshua, right? We talked about um, how that was their first victory in Canaan where God tore down the walls of Jericho after they marched around them for seven days. So you can look to find context in the book of Luke to see that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for Passover. And ultimately he was on his way to be crucified because he knew that that was coming. Y'all good up there? Okay. <laughs> So this was shortly after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And so the Sanhedrin were looking for ways they could catch Jesus. You know, they, they weren't too thrilled with him at the moment. So we can, we can also learn from historical context that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and very wealthy, right? You got money? Yeah. He's very wealthy. So that means he was probably disliked by a lot of people around him. Y'all like Zacchaeus? 
No, they didn't like him. They didn't like him. They did not like Zacchaeus because he probably took more money than he should have. That made himself wealthy. He was considered a traitor and a thief. And they, they made him, it made them mad, right? You guys were mad. Yeah, that's good. Cross those arms. Yeah. But we also have the line in the Bible and the song that says that he was short, which probably did not help his, his self-esteem because he was not liked already. And then, so he hold, hold on to all these thoughts. We'll come back to them. All right, let's keep reading. So it says, I'm going to back up. Y'all can do this. All right. When Jesus reached the spot, crowd back up just a second. Back up, Evan, that way. That way, that way, that way. Back up that way, not towards them. Yeah. So when Jesus reached the spot, <laughs> he looked up to him and says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once. At once, the tree helped. <laughs> and he welcomed him gladly. But all the people saw this. You saw that? And they began to mutter. Whisper, whisper, whisper. Very good. They said, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. So we see that the people said that Zacchaeus was a sinner. They, that's how they saw him. They considered him a liar, a thief, a sinner, someone Jesus should not be around in their eyes because they, they all wanted to hear from Jesus and they did not approve of this. Did you? No. That's why later on at the end of this interaction, Jesus says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. But in verse eight, we see Zacchaeus, he got up. Maybe he fell out of the tree. We don't know, but you get up. And he said to, to Jesus, he said, look, Lord, yes, here and now, I give half of all my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody, I will pay back four times the amount. Excellent. Zacchaeus had probably heard about Jesus the day before. That's why he wanted to see him. He had, Jesus had come through Jericho before and he had preached and spoken to massive crowds. And so Zacchaeus probably heard that, you know, he was asking rich people to give their money to the poor. And so now Zacchaeus was publicly proclaiming that he was going to do that. He was going to turn away from cheating people out of their money. And he had repentance in this moment. So we also see a contrast between how Jesus saw Zacchaeus and how the rest of them saw Zacchaeus. The world over here, these people, and even in the recordings of Luke, we see that they say he was small and he was a tax collector. He was a traitor. He was a thief. We don't like him, do we? Ew, no. Yucky. But in verse 9, we see that Jesus sees him and he says, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Jesus sees Zacchaeus as a man of faith. This term son of Abraham is used to exemplify somebody of, with great faith in God. So Jesus had a lot of ways that he would let people know that their sins had been forgiven. And salvation is one that we know very well. And although the world may have seen this man 
as a short, cheating sinner. Jesus saw him as a man of great faith, turning from his life of sin and willing to give up half of what he had to the poor. So this is one of many stories in the Bible where God looks at people very differently than how society looked at them, their peers looked at them, their family looked at them. Jesus doesn't see that. He sees the heart, right? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Thank you, volunteers. Give it up for them, my actors. EJ, I'm not paying for a chiropractor. And I'm going to turn it over to Miss Erica. Amen. How's everyone doing today? Everyone enjoying the service so far? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Got my people trained, you know. Um, I love being able to part of this ministry and seeing the next generation pursuing their calling. Where's all my youth at? A little more excitement. Thank you. Um, and during the past few weeks in youth, we have been learning about our identity and our image in Christ. Identity is found in and received from God who created us as his image bearers, bearers, unique masterpieces, unique masterpieces, sorry, nervous, and calls us to live in ways that reflect him to the world. Like we just saw, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, right? Who collected taxes from the Jewish people to give to the Roman government. Zacchaeus himself was a Jewish so he was considered a traitor by his own people. He was very good at his job, which meant he was a very wealthy man. But even though he had all this money, he did not have many friends. Because of course, who would want to be a friend of someone who steals from his own people? The Jewish people despised him. He may have been rich, but he was also lonely. When I was younger, I attended public school and my biggest struggle was trying to find, was trying to be like the people around me. This meant that I had to ask my parents for everything that everyone else had so that I could be trendy. And it meant being friends with the wrong people as well. There was always some kind of drama. And when I was at that age, I felt like I had to be a part of it just to fit in. Culture gives us, a mix, gives us mixed messages when it comes to identity. We are told that identity is based on our appearance, our ethnicity, our family history, and etc. We are also told that identity is something that we can choose, our feelings, our opinions, and desires. The Bible gives us a fresh and freeing way to look at, at identity, one that takes the focus off of ourselves and puts it into the one who made us. When we begin to understand who God is, and his thoughts and plans for us, we begin to discover a clear direction for defining who we are. When we look back at Zacchaeus' story, we see that when, we heard Jesus, when he heard that Jesus was coming, he made a way to be able to see him. He climbed up on top of a tree so that he could have a good view of him. When Jesus was walking, he made sure to stop and talk to him. He made time for people that most people would overlook. In times of struggles and hard times, Zacchaeus found Jesus. At the same time, Jesus was searching for Zacchaeus. Jesus saw value in Zacchaeus. 
I believe today that when God looks at you, God sees value in each of us. We are all loved by God, and we need to believe this. God sees us differently than we often see ourselves. God sees us differently than other people may view us. God sees you in an incredible and loving way. Just as Jesus saw Zacchaeus and wanted to be with him, God wants to be with you as well. God loves you. God has loved you since the beginning of time. When we think back to Psalm 139, 1 through 2 and 13 and 14, it says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. After I left public school, I was able to be at home in my safe place. But that meant not having as much social interaction and losing friends that I used to know. We were also in the middle of transitioning out of our old church, which meant that I would eventually stop talking to as much of my old friends in church as well. I remember Rosie always telling me that I had to find a hobby or something that would allow me to meet new people and have that social interaction that I was lacking. Eventually, we ended up in Mint Hill Community Church, where I got to be a part of an amazing youth group and was able to meet friends who, just like me, were all seeking Jesus. These friends and youth group pushed me to where I am today. And now that I look back at it, because I seeked God and was surrounded by people who were doing that as well, it made me find who I am, who I was, and who God created me to be. I was able to start pursuing my calling and God worked through me in ways that I could have never imagined. One thing that I hope the youth can take from this message is that no matter what circumstance got you into this world or what circumstance you currently live in, you were made on purpose and intended to live for a purpose. You have been masterfully designed to live with a specific purpose as a new creation in Jesus. Amen? When we choose to find our identity in God, we can finally find rest. Rest from trying to be what other or current culture tells us we should be. We don't have to wait for their approval or constantly looking to our changing emotion and desire to tell us who we are. Our identity is rooted in who God says we are, his creation, his masterpiece, his children. When we come close to God, he will make himself known to us. And in knowing who he is, we find who we are. Amen? Now, Joy. All right. Part four. Woo! <laughs> All right. So who am I? I'm Joy. <laughs> I'm the young adult coordinator here, and I've been serving with Moises for, I don't even know, years. But I've enjoyed being here so much. But enough about me. I want to know who you are, especially my young adults. So I'm going to pass around the mic to each young adult, and I would just love you to share a little bit about who you are. We, who wants to start first? I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know I probably just scared every young adult in the room. They're all like, <laughs> where's the exits? And that's pretty common. I mean, as young adults, for us, we get that question a lot. Who are you? Like, what, what's going on? What's your, what's your life look like? And as young adults, we have a very big 
array of stuff going on. I mean, some of us are getting married. Some of us are dating. Some of us have never dated. Some of us aren't married. Some of us are parents. Some of us haven't even thought about being a parent yet. I mean, some of us are in college. Some of us haven't even been to college. It is just such a big array. And it all brings us back to this question of, who am I? So I kind of want to dive into this a little deep. So we're going to go to my favorite show growing up, Duck Dynasty. <laughs> so Duck Dynasty, um, there was a family member named Sadie Robinson, and thankfully she's been a strong believer all of her life. And she's done a great ministry, and she posts on her social media questions from time to time and will have the young adults that follow her answer these questions. So a recent question that she posted was, what do you identify with? And people give really interesting answers. And they're all young adults, mind you. So some people said, I identify with my job. Some people said, I identify with my career. Some people said, I identify with my popularity or lack of popularity. Some people said they identify with their gender. Some people said they identify with their sexuality. Some people said that they identify with their relationship or lack of relationship. They identified with their culture. They identified with their friends. And these were questions that kept going on and on and on about what they identified with. But it was a Christian platform, so the majority of people said, I identify with Christ. Woo! That's great, right? Yeah, I mean, is that not? <laughs> and I bet if I actually passed around this mic around the room, a lot of you would say the exact same thing. I identify with Christ. And that's awesome. But my follow-up question to that is, how has that shaped who you are? So I want us to... Sorry, y'all, my page just went. <laughs> See, the thing about it is, is if God isn't God to you, if God isn't on the throne of your life, if he's not the priority of your life, then he's not gonna change anything about you. But if you know who God is, and if you believe who he is, if you believe that he is who he says he is, that he sent his son to die for you, then he will change everything about your life. You will have peace. You will have confidence. You will have security. You will know who you are. So I don't want to start by answering the question, who are you? But I want to start by answering the question, who is God to you? So I have a picture I want to throw up. So I got to go to Israel earlier this year, and this is my friends. And we are at a place called Caesarea Philippi. And you can see, uh, it's kind of a blurry picture, but you can see this guy at the end has a thumb up. He should be giving a big thumbs down, because this was a bad place. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Caesarea Philippi was a centering gathering place of false worship. So we had a lot of pagan worship happening at this one location. They were worshiping the, the god of Pan, who is the god of lust. They were worshiping the fertility gods. They even had like goats that were dancing, and they were dancing around them. I mean, crazy stuff, y'all. Bad place. Again, thumbs down. Um, and Jesus actually took his disciples here. So let's find out why. We're going to read in Matthew 16. So if you have your physical Bible and you got a piece of candy, let's turn to Matthew 16. So it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, 
and the gates of hell will not overcome it. You see, Jesus took them to the central of pagan place. Like this was like our culture on a platform. And he asked them here, who do you say I am? And what happened? Peter recognized who Jesus was. He recognized that he was God. And what happened right after he recognized who he was? Then Jesus told him exactly who he was and he gave him his identity and his purpose. You see, when God becomes God to you, you get your identity and you get your purpose. And what we tend to see as young adults is our culture is always trying to tell us who we are and who we should be and what we should do. And this will always be in direct opposition to what God is telling us who we should be and what we should do. You see, truth has become relative. It's my truth, his truth, her truth, my cat's truth, your dog's truth. It's all of these truths. <laughs> and there's a path that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. But there's a path of truth and a path of righteousness that leads to Jesus Christ that is life. But what is truth? You see, the thing about truth that makes truth so powerful is that it is objectively true. And we find that truth in the Bible. So let's go to John 8, 32. It says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, Jesus's truth has power. Can any other truth do that? Can any other truth set you free? Can any other truth give you identity and a purpose? Let me answer that, no. <laughs> so let's go back to Adam and Eve, right? We had Eve believing that if she ate that apple, that she would become God and that would be true to her. But we know that's not true. You see, the thing about becoming your own God is it's great when you're on the mountaintop, right? It's awesome. But what happens when you're in the valley or worse? You face death. It's not that great anymore. And maybe you can get by for some time. But again, when you are in that valley and you are faced with death, you cannot be your own God. You see, we just don't have the power to be our own God and save ourselves from death. So grasp this truth. And the sooner you grasp this truth, the sooner you get to be who you are called to be. Um, I was a ministry student for a while, and we listened to a million sermons. And this one sermon I listened to, the lady kind of gave it um, in her sermon an affirmation of who God was. And it was super powerful that I saved it on my laptop. So I'm going to read this over for us. And it's just a really good affirmation of who God is. And it says, God is God. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the keeper of creation and the creation or creator of all. He is the architect of the universe and the manager of all time. He always was, always will be. He's unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised and brought healing. He was pierced and eased pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He's risen and his power is strong and he reigns and brings peace. The world can't understand him. The armies of hell can't defeat him. The schools can't explain him and the leaders can't ignore him. Harold couldn't kill him, the Pharisees couldn't confuse him, and the people couldn't hold him. Nero couldn't crush him, Hitler couldn't silence him, and the new age can't replace him, and Oprah can't even explain him away. <laughs> he is light, he is love, he is longevity and the Lord. He is goodness, kindness, gentleness. He is holy, he is mighty and powerful and pure. He always is right, and his word is eternal, and he's unchanging. God is the wisdom of the wise, the power of the powerful, and the ancient of days the ruler of rulers, the leader of leaders, and the overseers and overcomers. He is the one who defeated death, and he is God. So this is who God is. 
And if you know God, you will know who you are, you will know your identity, and you will have a purpose. And I'm gonna invite Landon up. <laughs> All right. Wow. Wow. That was awesome. That was amazing. Let me get my notes here together. It's in a different order than I thought. No, it's okay. Okay, here we are. Oh, wow. That was amazing. We had this time. We start off with the, the Bible story with the kids, Erica, that word, you know, for the youth to grasp and, and young adults to grasp. And uh, I get the serious one. I get to talk to everybody else. But before that, <laughs> let's do something a little fun, just kind of kind of stretch a little bit. Um, we've been talking about the next generation, talking about different generations and things and, and who we are. And, you know, for the most part, when we talk about next generation, we're talking about like our kids or our grandkids. I have a kid back in the back in the nursery. She's in the next generation. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, we like to categorize these things. And so as just a culture, we've come up with names and titles for the different generations. And I want to see like who we have represented in the room today. Uh, we have youth, we have young adults, but like, do we have anybody in that baby, baby boomer generation, the 1946 to 1964? Wow. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, Gosh, God bless you. I, <laughs> sometimes these things are too crazy for me, but thank you. Thank you. That was awesome. Uh, now, uh, what about, so the generation after that is called Generation X. Who's in that generation? The, uh, let's see, where's that at? Oh, it's on the next page. <laughs> 1965 to 1976. Awesome. Yes. My mom's in that generation. Hey, mom. <laughs> the next one is uh, 1970, let's see, 1978 to 1996, the millennial generation. That's me. I'm in that generation. I'm the young millennial, 1996, youngest you could be, I guess. <laughs> After that, we have the Gen Z. They went back to the letter. Who's Gen Z? 1997 and 2015. And you know what? Yeah, Nolan, that's you. <laughs> You're Gen Z. <laughs> and then we probably don't have any of these with us here. They're probably in the nursery. The next generation is 2016 to today and even further. Oh, Evie <laughs> and Bash, the Gen Alpha. They switched to Greek letters because they ran out of the, the other ones. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that was really fun. Thank you guys for being with us. Um, so, serious time. <laughs> We've been talking about identity, about who, how, how God sees us versus how the world sees us. And I think this is something, this is a kind of question that everybody has asked at some point in their life. Who am I? I mean, you look on Instagram, everybody's written their own bio. It's almost like, you know, what you'd see on a tombstone. Like, I am, you know, husband of Rebecca and father of Dove and children's pastor at Greater Life Waxhaw, right? That's what mine says. But like, that's how a lot of people just identify themselves right there. Um, let's see. But, and, and 
This is one thing that I'm noticing each generation starts to ask this question younger and younger. And you may see this as like spurred on by social media, smartphones. I know just in 2021, there was a survey that showed that one out of every three kids age eight years old have a smartphone they call their own. So they could be playing games. They could be on social media. They're asking these questions. And each year above that, it just gets higher and higher. It's just like, whoosh, you get 17 years old, almost every single 17-year-old has an iPhone or a smartphone of some kind. And because it's a part of our nature to want to categorize things, we want to categorize ourselves. We try to identify ourselves, but the way we do that and, and like when we do that is, is important. Um, when I was like 10 to 12 years old, I don't know if some of you that are my age or maybe older could, could relate to the awkward phase where like, you know, you, you wore weird clothing. You didn't know how to present yourself. For me, I, uh, my, my parents let me dress myself and wear my hair the way I wanted. So I would like grow it out really long and then I wouldn't take care of it and I would get, I would get annoyed with it. It would look all greasy and then I would just shave it off every summer. And <laughs> that's, that's why I don't like to use the razor, Eddie. <laughs> now you know, <laughs> traumatic memories of my awkward phase. But, but as time went on, I went through that time, that awkward phase, and I, I learned how I wanted to present myself, you know, how to take care of my hair, how to take care of the clothes I wear, and kind of grew out of that awkward phase, became a teenager. But we're seeing nowadays with social media, with d this like culture just being pushed on kids from such an early age, one in three at age eight, having a smartphone, that this like awkward phase, this tween age demographic is just like dying out. You go immediately from being a kid to being a teenager or a young adult that's really young. And it's like this like loss of innocence that I feel like is, is tragic. Um, and we see these social trends and things, they get dictated to kids like on a, on a four month cycle. Like you could be thinking about one thing, talking about one thing, and then four months later, you don't even know what you were talking about a couple months ago. Who remembers the, the, like the corn kid? That was like almost two years ago, right? I don't know. It was a long time ago, but there's been so many cycles and trends in between. It feels like so long ago. And this amount of change and societal pressure together has caused things like mental health issues to just skyrocket across the board. And especially with young children, teenagers, tween age individuals. The problem is that on these, you know, message boards, social media platforms and groups, some people see those mental health issues as like a badge of honor. Like, yeah, I'm depressed. I sit in my room all day and that's all I do. And they get boosted through their group. Or you see things like, you know, 
attention deficit disorders just being, you know, it's good to talk about. It's good to recognize these things and get help for it. But sometimes it's elevated as like something that makes you cool or edgy, not even to mention people who have like body dysmorphia, different body image issues being, being pushed in that way. One out of five people in the Gen Z generation identify with one of the letters in the LGBT plus group. That is the highest of any generation we've ever seen. And of course, that's connected to the same situation. Groups online, mental health, pushing these things. That is double my generation of millennials, 10%. And it's actually more than all four previous generations combined. It is an epidemic. It is crazy. The world that we live in and this age, the digital age, is so loud. There are things happening constantly. The four-month cycles, just TikTok or Instagram reels where it's like seven seconds long and you go to the next one, you go to the next one, you go to the next one. You're there for hours. Just things bombarding you. Everyone's trying to influence each other. That's a term, influencer. What are we doing as the church? You know, I would say my instinct as a parent would just be go off the grid. No cell phone, no social media, nothing, nothing. And we just run away. We live in the woods. We come to church and then we go back to the woods. <laughs> you want to... <laughs> Okay, I think Rebecca might be into that. Never mind. <laughs> but, okay. But there is something else to think about is this is a new thing happening in the world, social media, over the past like 10, 15 years. There's going to be another new thing. And you may not be able to escape it constantly. So we have to do something like in advance. In case you come across this thing, you can be inoculated right? You can be like boosted up, ready to combat it. And I think the world is constantly trying to label people. That's what we see, these mental health and these groups and these, all these things. It's labels, like Joy, Erica, we're talking about. How do we label our kids, our grandkids, our friends? Because our kids are listening to us all the time, they're not, without even trying, they just hear whatever you're saying. Sometimes I feel like they know what we're thinking. <laughs> just, they can see it on our face. Are we labeling them properly in our everyday actions and in our speech? Calling them children created in the image of God or, you know, that's my problem child over there. This is my good one. This is my bad one. <laughs> in their terrible twos. Do we call them the blessing that they are to our life? What about when they start to label themselves? If they look in the mirror and they say, I am ugly. I don't look good. I'm not cool. They, they have trouble in school and they say, I'm not smart. I'm not going to do this because I'm not smart. Are we 
you know, quick enough to remember and remind them the way God sees them. Because God's looking on the heart, right? We can bring them to biblical truths in the Bible that say they are fearfully and wonderfully made. They are knit together in their mother's womb, right? God is proud of his handiwork. We are the work of his hands, like the canvas and clay song. He is, he is the potter. We are the clay. He is proud of his handiwork. We have some examples in the Bible of, of parents, and I'm over time, I think, but <laughs> they, they speak over their children. We can read these things in the Bible, that of John the Baptist's father, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he said, you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare a way for him. So good. Hannah, who, you know, the mother of Samuel, she, she cried because she was barren, and God gave her a son, and she spoke over him saying, I prayed for this child. The Lord has granted me what I asked for, so now I give him to the Lord. His whole life will be given over to the Lord. And probably the best example of a father speaking over his son. When Jesus was baptized, God split the heavens, said to the crowd, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Our children need to know who they are in Christ. And, and we have a role. We, we play an enormous role in that. Remind them every chance you get, you are a child of God. I am pleased with you. Bring them to church. Read the Bible with them so they can see these things for themselves. Very important. Thank you for bringing them here today. I am grateful, personally, that Pastor Moises has this vision of sowing into the next generation, bringing us out here every so often and, and building these things up. Not just because I'm the children's pastor, and I like having youth members volunteer in the kids' ministry, but because I have a child of my own who's in this next generation that's coming up. And I, I'm, I'm grateful that that's, that's something that we emphasize here because the eyes of the world are on this generation more than ever before. And I believe with God's help, we can make an impact on them help them to see who they are in Christ, and they will make a bigger impact on the world than we could have imagined 10 or 20 years ago. It all starts with them knowing who they are, and we have a huge role to play in that. Amen. Pastor Moises? Yeah. Yeah. Let's give it up, guys. This is good. <clears throat> amazing, amazing. You know, our... I'm super proud of the Next Gen team here at the church, guys, with what they do and what they're able to accomplish the, the, the story of Zacchaeus has two concepts to it. You got a crowd of people who served as an obstacle to Jesus, and then you got a tree that represents vision to, be, to, to Jesus. And, and I, if I leave you with anything, when we're talking about a generation, is who will you represent? Will you be the obstacle to the next generation from seeing Jesus, or are we going to be the tall tree that's going to take this generation up as high as we can so that they could have eyes and sight on Jesus. It has been said that people don't leave the church nowadays because of a problem. It's a lack of identity. 
they don't know who God is to them and they don't know who they are to God and we lose them. It is our most, it, it's a, it is one of our highest priorities that our young people, that our next generation will have their sights on Jesus no matter what's going on around them. I personally want to be the tree. I want to do everything in my power to lift up anyone to be able to see Jesus. Make sure, make sure that you make this a priority in your life. Don't be an obstacle. Don't be an obstacle. Enable others to be able to have access to the same light that you have access to. Amen? I, I, I love the idea so much so that I started this next-gen fund early on. I literally said, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a huge guy of removing excuses, okay? I, I, I don't like hearing students say to me, I can't go to camp because my parents, I can't afford it, or I can't do this, or I can't do that, or we need to rent a van, or we, no. I, I created this next-gen fund because I want it to be a place where everyone could be lifted in a time of need to have access to Jesus, amen? And, and you, you may sit here today and wonder, what is my play in all this? Moises, my kids are grown up. They're, they're, listen, I believe all of us, whether there's through the Next Gen Fund involvement in, in ministry, there is ways that you could get yourself plugged in and find ways for you to be useful, to not be an obstacle for the next generation, but again, be that supporting role in their lives so they can see further ahead than you ever thought they could see before. Amen? I want you to bow your heads as we pray. Lord, I, I, I thank you so much, God, that you give us the opportunity to witness young people serve you. It, 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 it moves me. I'm like, there's something inside of me, Lord, moves when I see young people devote themselves to you at an early age, God. Where, where people their age find this less interesting, not as uh, attractive, God. You, you place a burden inside these young people's hearts to do this for you. God, I, I just pray that you would just continue to pour gasoline on that fire, God. That they would continue to find ways to walk into who you have made them to be, God. So that would, they would be on fire for you, God. We truly believe, God, that this is not just the generation of tomorrow. They are the generation of today. And they could be impactful now. Yes, they're going to be our future pastors and worship leaders and, and church leaders, God. But I believe, Lord, that what you're starting in their lives could be impactful today, Lord. So I pray that you would take this generation and move them forward, that you will help us as a church to be a beacon of light as the world gets darker and darker. Let us be a light that no one will be able to put out. What you put inside of us, God, is brighter than anything that we can face. And God, I just pray, allow us to be the tree, that tall structure that others can stand on and see you from afar so that we could glorify you and your kingdom, God. We love you, God, and we thank you for this amazing opportunity that you give us to let our young people, Lord, lead the charge to your presence. God, we love you, and we believe amazing things are up ahead. In your name we pray, amen. Can we give it up one more time? That's amazing.